Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalam ala Rasulillah. Amma ba'd. Jazakallahu khairan for tuning in. This is Islamic Finance Guru's session 5 of our tafsir. Um, it feels almost uh, like it's become a real regular thing now. I think when you get to the session 5, it becomes a properly regular thing. Uh, inshallah, our plan today is to run through three ayat of uh, Surah Baqarah. And the, the themes of these three ayat are, number one, to talk about halal and tayyib, income and, um, and eating uh, and sustenance. The second one is to make sure that we understand that we should not be ungrateful for what we have. And we never know what we might have may be worth a lot more than we think. And then finally, we'll talk about the importance of contracts. And bear with me, I know when, whenever we say the word contracts, people's eyes roll back into their heads and they want to fall asleep. But bear with me, uh, contracts are actually really important for our society and also for um, uh, the, the way that we interact with each other and actually it binds us all together and we'll get on to all of that inshallah. But first I want to start with a, with a story and that's the story that is of a, uh, of a man who has disheveled hair and his clothes are unkempt and his clothes are dirty and he's in the heart of the desert and you can imagine um, when, you know, when, when you and I go and play football when we uh, come off uh, the five-a-side pitch and we feel really thirsty and we, we desperately need water. We don't need uh, Diet Pepsi. We don't need anything else. We need water and we need it fast. And for all of us uh, who have been fasting uh, in Ramadan over the last few years, in the height of the summer in the UK, what happens is towards the end of the day, if we have been uh, exerting ourselves too much, we feel a real thirst and we, we really are struggling. And at that point, when um, we would turn, when this man turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he cries out for his help. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the merciful, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also the just. And he is also the one who has ordained for us all of Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he... Uh, how can this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala respond to this man's dua when this man, his uh, sustenance, his clothes, his food, his water, his everything is sustained by haram. And this is actually a hadith of Rasulullah Rasulullah he says, the case of a man traveling on a long, arduous journey, greatly troubled and distressed, with disheveled hair, crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh my Lord, oh my Lord, but his food is haram, his drink is haram, his dress is haram, and he is nourished with haram. How then is his dua accepted? So this is a hadith in Sahih Muslim. And the point being made here is that there is an intimate connection between our dua being accepted between our spiritual status, between our spiritual rank, and with our sustenance, and with our um, halal and tayyib sustenance. So let's turn, inshallah, to our um, first verse, which is in Surah Baqarah, um, the second surah, verse 57. 
أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وظللنا عليكم الغمام وأنزلنا عليكم المن والسلوى كلوا من طيبات ما رزقناكم وما ظلمونا ولكن كانوا أنفسهم يظلمون We made the clouds cover you with shade and sent manna and quails down to you, saying, eat the good things we have provided for you. It was not us they wronged, they wronged themselves. So this is a verse that is talking to, uh, talking about Bani Israel, the children of Israel. And this is after Bani Israel had escaped from Fir'aun and they'd crossed, uh, crossed the Red Sea and they were on their way to the uh, to the Holy Land and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is testing them and he is he is granting them great blessings during this journey and one of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he sent a cloud to cover over them because of the intense heat of the desert and he sent down upon them manna and salwa and he said eat the good things that we have provided for you eat eat from the halal and the tayyib from what we have given to you and this is something that is repeated in the Qur'an in a number of other places as well. So let's just read them as well so we get a full sense of what we're talking about here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in uh, Surah, um, uh, surah 7 uh, verse 30, uh, 32. قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ قُلْ هِيَ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا خَالِصَةً يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ كَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ لِقَوْمٍ يَعْلَمُونَ Say, O Prophet, who has forbidden the adornment and the nourishment God has provided for his servants? And again, who has uh, the adornment and the nourishment? What min risk from the pure of the risk that we have given them? Say they are allowed for those who believe during the life of this world, and they will be theirs alone on the day of resurrection. So that's the second verse that talks about halal and tayyib and this concept of tayyib. And then finally, we have uh, a verse uh, six uh, in, in the Surah Nahl, which is the sixteenth surah, verse one hundred and fourteen. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, he says, uh, So eat of the good and lawful things God has provided for you and be thankful for his blessings if it is him you worship. Um, so these are the three verses that we want to uh, think about today. So this is concept of halal and then this is concept of tayyib. And everyone gets a concept of halal, right? So the halal bit is that it's legal. If you are going to McDonald's and you are asked, what burger are you going to have? Are you going to have the, the Big Mac? And this is in the UK, by the way. So we're not, you know, in, in uh, the Middle East where everything's halal. Are you going to have the Big Mac or are you going to have the fillet fish, which is the, the Muslim staple in the UK and has been for the last, you know, decades? Um, which one are you going to choose? We're going to choose the fillet fish. Why are we going to choose the fillet fish? Well, we're going to choose the fillet fish because it's halal. Now, the question is, is it also tayyib? 
And tayyib is something more than just halal, right? Because otherwise, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say halal and tayyiba? Why would he say two, why would he say halal and tayyib if they both mean the same thing? So tayyib means something more. And tayyib is a spiritual thing. And tayyib is something that is actually good for you. It is actually something that is better for you. And it is something that will um, bring you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's something that is preferred um, for your body and by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he encourages his servants, as we have seen, to uh, take from the halal and specifically to take from the tayyib. So we have this concept of halal being legal and the tayyib being, uh, being spiritual. And in our lives, in our daily lives, there are two key areas where this concept is incredibly applicable and is often forgotten. The first is in the area of food. We need to eat halal. All of us know this, right? All of us know that we need to eat halal. But there are so many more facets to eating halal and eating uh, generally as a Muslim that we tend to overlook, uh, unfortunately. The first is um, a really simple example. If, if I go down um, a, a, a Muslim area where there's a Muslim high street and I look at the kind of eggs that are stocked there, the chances are we'll find that they are going to be battery uh, farmed uh, chicken eggs and they're not going to be free range or anything like that. They're not going to be those kind of eggs. And why is that? Well, generally speaking, the free range eggs are a bit more expensive. They're not that much more expensive, but they're a little bit more expensive. However, uh, free range eggs are widely available in, in bigger supermarkets. The point I'm trying to make here is that um, we as a Muslim community are not as conscientious about these kind of decisions that are actually um, really significant when we think about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, uh, he emphasizes how careful we have to be when we slaughter an animal, for example. Um, how we must uh, is the specific hadith. We should make the, the, the animal that is going to be slaughtered, we must make him calm down. And we must look after animals to the best of our ability. We must be kind and gentle to animals. And Allah, and um, when we are making that economic choice to buy um, uh, to buy battery farmed uh, chickens uh, and their eggs that have been kept in horrible conditions during their life that they've never seen uh, the light of day, some of them sometimes, and we make that choice to buy those kind of eggs, then that is an economic choice, but that, that is also to some extent a spiritual choice and a moral choice. And we as economic beings, as economic agents, when we make such a choice, they have repercussions. And what we want to do today, what I want to do today is just make us aware that we have these repercussions and that we need to be careful about what we eat. So it's not just about eggs though, it's also about sustainable food. So the Japanese have started whale hunting again. I mean, I don't know too much about that area of uh, of uh, the uh, you know the sustainable environment and uh, whale hunting. But what I do know is that we need to be very careful whenever we eat meat. And I and I speak to myself first as uh, you know as uh, a member of the Muslim community, as a member of, of the uh, Pakistani Asian community. We eat a lot of meat, but actually. Uh, the production of meat is a big uh, producer and a big net 
provider of uh, CO2, uh, carbon dioxide into the environment. And that leads to an increase in greenhouse gases, and that leads to an increase in global warming, and that leads to all sorts of the other problems that we have seen rising uh, water levels and droughts and uh, strange uh, weather patterns and uh, lots of hurricanes and tsunamis, etc., etc. We, we all know the story when it comes to uh, climate change and uh, the rise of uh, greenhouse gases. But actually, the point is that you and I, with our meat that we eat, are actually part of that wider narrative. When we make a choice to eat meat every single meal, then that is a choice that's going to reflect in the world that we live in. And that is a choice that we need to think about. Is it truly tayyib? It's halal, but is it also tayyib? So that's something we need to think about. And then finally, um, we need to also think about eating healthily and making sure that when uh, going back to the you know the McDonald's example, when we when we are choosing uh, to eat the fill of fish, that may be a halal choice, but it may not be a tayyib choice. It may not be the choice that is best for you. And now also, by the way, notice how uh, it might be tayyib for one person who is very skinny. He doesn't really, you know, he he just burns it all off. He's a marathon runner. Uh, he needs the carbs. Uh, to just get the fuel in his body, whereas someone who's obese and overweight and uh, you know, he's struggling to lose weight, that might not be the best choice for him. So tayyib is a very con contextual thing, and it depends on what your situation is. But generally speaking, healthy healthy choices, healthy food is to be preferred than unhealthy food. And uh, and uh, there are a hadith about this: how uh, the worst vessel that a, a son of Adam can fill is his stomach and there are other hadith that talk about how uh, the stomach should be only one third full one third water and one third empty uh, and imam shafi has um, has some poetry on this as well uh, uh, he says that there are three things that call man to destruction um, and, and call the person who is sahih, who is pure and he's sound and he's healthy to uh, disease. And what are those three things? Uh, so he, Imam Shafi, is, uh, he was someone who was interested in medicine as well. He was an expert in medicine. Uh, he said three things. One is the person who keeps on drinking alcohol. Uh, the other one is the, one, the person who keeps uh, engaging in conjugal ties or is obsessed perhaps with conjugal ties. And then the third thing is and he keeps entering food upon food into his stomach uh, so that's something we need to be aware of and so the final thing uh, that I really want to say about this, this food topic is that we as Muslims eat a lot of halal meat and a lot of halal chicken but we really need to be careful when we eat these things that we are choosing the best uh, in terms of uh, organic, free-range, in terms of uh, how well they are slaughtered, and all of those kind of things. And and for myself, in particular, I um, uh, I've come across this um, halal chicken um, company. Uh, to my knowledge, I think one of the only, if not the only, uh, organic, free-range halal chicken companies, HMC, 
um, and um, their website is, let me pull it up. Uh, so I, I've not been paid to do this, by the way, uh, but I, I genuinely really like what they're doing and, um, and I think we should support them. And their website is uh, Halal and Tayyib Food, so hntfood.com. So that's hntfood.com. And um, what I'll do is I'll also uh, link this in the description of the YouTube video uh, very shortly after we finish this, uh, this um, session. So that's hntfood.com, Halal and Tayyib uh, uh, Food. Uh, or you can just Google Halal and Tayyib Chicken. And uh, I don't think they, um, they necessarily have a shop. I think they're a wholesaler. So they will be delivering to uh, potentially shops in your area. And I, I live in London and I know that they do deliveries in both East and West London. Um, so, um, so, you know, you can, you can find uh, those guys. Um, and, uh, and frankly, as I said, we as a consumer, when we make those choices, when we make the right choice, when we make the choice to go for a particular brand that is standing for what we as a Muslim uh, stand for, then what happens is that the, the market adapts to that. So over the last five, six years, we've seen the price of organic, free range, free from goods go down and down and down. And why is that? Because demand has gone up um, and because of that, competition has increased. Um, the, uh, the supply of things has increased. Uh, it has meant that we've got economies of scale. And so that overall, the prices have gone down and we as a consumer benefit. But that all started from someone making that economic choice, from you and I making the economic choice to go for something more expensive, perhaps due to a moral reason. And, um, and that is something that we need to be thinking about uh, in, in our um, particular um, sphere in, in the Muslim community, in the halal um, food and uh, in the halal meat and chicken um, field. Then we come on to the second facet of this, and that's earnings. So... I, going back to this hadith about this man who, who's, uh, who, whose uh, dua was not accepted. How many of us would like our dua to be accepted? How many of us have things that we really want to ask for? And yet, we have never really thought about whether or not our earnings are truly halal. Are our earnings truly halal? Or are we cutting corners? Or do we have a house that is um, a buy-to-let that we have bought on an interest-based mortgage? Or are we um, uh, borrowing from a, a credit card company because well, we want to buy the latest gadget or something and we've managed to run into credit card debt? Or are we regularly using our overdraft facility in our banks? Because let's be honest, that is also borrowing, right? Um, or are we just working in a company that is haram? So are we working in a bank or are we working in um, some kind of uh, betting shop? I, I mean, I've seen Muslims working in betting shops. I've seen Muslims working in news agents selling alcohol. Now, th these are things that do not lead to a halal income. And if you are not going to get a halal income, then with what are you going to spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in... Uh, uh, the Rasulullah he said in the same hadith uh, that we just talked about, Allah, the Almighty, is pure and accepts only that which is pure. There are many stories of people who go on Hajj every year after doing dealing in drugs all, all year or 
stealing the rights of other people all of their all of their year, and then they go to Hajj or they go to Umrah every year, and they repent to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and they want their sins to be wiped away, and they expect them to be wiped away, and then they go back to their lives and they carry on as they are. That is not. Uh, that is problematic for two reasons. Firstly, that is not a true repentance. And then secondly, what money are you spending to go on Umrah and Hajj? You're spending haram income to go on Umrah and Hajj and you think that that is going to be uh, your salvation? That's not how it works. And then you also expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to listen to you and to your du'as. That is not how it works. And we must also think about our our children in this as well because our children um, they look up to us and they grow up on a certain kind of income right they, they eat food that we earn for them and if we are not earning the right kind of income to feed them then that has an impact on them believe you me there is a difference between someone who's been nourished on halal and tayyib income and someone who has not been nourished on halal and tayyib income. So we need to be careful about not just ourselves, but also our children as to what we do here. So, so that is the, the, the verse and the verses on um, halal and tayyib. Let's move now on to the, the, second, uh, uh, the second verse. And, and this is a fairly quick verse, and that is uh, on um, in Surah Baqarah. Again, just a few verses on uh, verse uh, sixty-one. So Bani Israel were also given uh, sustenance whilst they were in the uh, in the desert, as we talked about. They were given uh, manna wa salwa, and they got bored of manna wa salwa, and they said. To Musa salam, Musa, we cannot bear to only eat one kind of food. So pray to your Lord and bring out for us some of the earth's produce. It's herbs and cucumbers, it's garlic, lentils and onions. He said, would you exchange that which is uh, better for worse? Go to Egypt or go to the city and there you will find what you have asked for. So this passage is Bani Israel saying that here's this fantastic, miraculous food that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is providing them completely without them having to worry about it at all. Um, a very delicious food. And they say that we've got bored with it and we don't really fancy it anymore. And we want to go for something a bit more different. And can you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us all of these other things? And Musa alayhi salam, he is saying that you are you are swapping that which is better for that which is worse better uh, certainly in the akhirah but also in this dunya you're you're swapping that which is um from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is blessed food and is a blessing from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that which is base and you want something um, that anyone can find uh, in any city of, of the world and the point that we need to learn from here, and then there's many points um, potentially, but what we want to talk about here is the uh, the ungratefulness that sometimes you and I can engage in when it comes to um, when it comes to our lives, and also the 
the fact that we can sometimes think that something is not really good for us, but actually it's it is the most thing, the, the most useful thing and beneficial thing for us, and the contrary as well. So sometimes we think something is uh, really good for us, but actually in reality it really isn't good for us. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He talks about in another part of the Quran about this precise point. He says, uh, Fighting has been ordained for you, though it is hard for you. You may dislike something, although it is good for you, or like something, although it is bad for you. God knows and you do not. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is making the same point in another part of the Quran as well. And it's so true that you know we, we often don't realize that the, the very thing that we are complaining about is actually that which is going to make us stronger. So, um, you know, as kids, when you, when you and I can think back to our childhoods, that often the things that were the, the hardest the things that we had to really plug away at and get through were the things that really made us uh, as individuals today. So, for, for example, for me, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I used to play a lot of cricket. I used, I used to do Hifd of the Quran uh, and uh, I, I, my, my parents pushed me into doing um, speaking, public speaking. All of those things, they were, I mean, apart from the cricket, I enjoyed that. But the other things, they were hard. And even cricket, it was it was consistency and it was... Um, you know, a lot of practice behind the scenes and all of those things um, they have helped me in many ways during the rest of my life and at the time those many of those things seemed quite hard and yet they were good for me and I'm sure the same is the case in, in your own lives we can think about uh, but also in the life of Musa salam. so Musa salam, he was asked uh, uh, Musa salam's uh mother was asked to put Musa into the river, uh, the Neel, and Musa floated away. Can you imagine a, a young newborn child um, is being put into a river where there's crocodiles and all sorts of things. It's a massive river if any of you have been to Egypt and you're just trusting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you're uh, putting this baby into this uh, basket and putting him into the river. And yet Musa by that action he ended up who in whose house? He ended up in Fir'aun's house. Fir'aun, the one who had ordered all of the children, the male children of Bani Israel to be killed, he ended up in the very house where he would be the safest. And Musa salam, he grew up uh, and he and he uh, survived that that um, that killing, and he became the prophet that he became. And so, Musa salam's mother, she never realized. She did not realize. That what what her, what she was being asked to do was actually good for her, um, until afterwards, until she saw the the greater wisdom of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and the same could be the, the case with with us. You know, we um, we're not allowed to trade on interest. We're not allowed to um, buy a conventional mortgage, uh, buy a house on a conventional mortgage. We're not allowed to um, get buy to lets, a series of buy to lets using a conventional mortgage. We're we're not allowed to borrow for our businesses. Um, on conventional um, interest and all uh, unconventional loans and all of these things 
hold us back somewhat. They're a challenge. They're irksome. They're difficult. We're not allowed to, um, uh, you know, have a uh, use a credit card and max out our credit cards. Um, we're not allowed to just have a, a, a mainstream pension and savings. We have to have specific pensions, specific savings to make sure that they're properly halal. These things are difficult. These things are not straightforward um, as they are for other people. And yet there is goodness in them. There is good for us, certainly in the Akhirah, but also in this life. And, and we, we've talked about this somewhat in previous episodes about um, you know, the, the structure of the Islamic economy and why the banning of interest is so important and what the benefits of this are, and etc., uh, etc. Et but there are huge benefits to this kind of um, prohibition. And yes, it might be difficult for us, but there is reason and there is goodness in it. And we, we just don't realize it um, sometimes. So, so that really is, uh, is the second verse that I wanted to talk about, about the children of Israel. Um, and so the final verse that I uh, want to touch upon before we, uh, before we wrap up for today is um, the hundredth verse of uh, Surah Baqarah. Uh, and that is a verse talking about oaths and uh, and talking about promises and contracts. And it is again talking about Bani Israel. A lot of Surah Baqarah does talk about Bani Israel. So he said, how is it that when they make a covenant or a pledge, some of them throw it away? In fact, most of them do not believe. So this is, um, this is talking about uh, the Ahd uh, that Bani Israel uh, took um, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to believe or to accept uh, Rasulullah But when we send them a messenger confirming the scripture they already had, some of them who had received the scripture before threw the book of God over their shoulder as if they had no knowledge. Um, so there, there's a lot to be said here about lots of different things. Um, but the one thing, this being a tafsir that's focused on Islamic finance, economics and uh, business, commercial type issues. Um, the one thing that I wanted to draw out here is the importance of really respecting um, trusts, covenants, pledges, contracts, um, obligations, binding agreements that we enter into. Because these are the fabric of society. These are the things that... Um, hold us all together right we have uh, and, and there are benefits to us um, when we do this as well and I'll, and I'll talk about this the best people are those uh, who, who uphold their own contracts and it is better for them economically as well and, I, and I'll touch upon that but before I do let's just talk about this social contract that we all have we all have a tacit understanding with our society that we're going to follow the road traffic code that we're not going to go around murdering people. We all have this tacit understanding that we're not going to block someone's driveway. Because when we when we uh, accept these laws and we accept these obligations or these um, understandings, this is beneficial for all of society. And when all of society keeps on doing this stuff, then all of society benefits. And when one person does not do this, when that one person is driving down the wrong side of the M1 or the M6, there is absolute catastrophe. When that one person doesn't decide to obey the law, he starts burgling houses, there is fear and discontent that spreads throughout the, that area. When that one person 
decides that he's going to park in front of a driveway, then that causes all sorts of problems, not just for the person who, whose house it is, but also as a knock-on effect on various different um, houses where other people then start parking in front of other driveways. And you've got all sorts of issues that arise from that. So let's just rewind then. There's this um, social contract that we are all engaged in as well, <coughs> which is um, which is what holds us all together. And ultimately, you know, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, we, we have a lot of freedom as human beings. No one is going to force us to do something. Um, when we live our life, we trust that other people are going to do the right thing, right? When, when you step into the underground, um, how many people are you standing next to in the London underground? And they could just push you into the underground and yet they don't. There's a huge degree of trust that we place when we stand next to someone in the underground and yet it all runs smoothly. The, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, there is a great benefit to upholding these trusts that we have between people. And we all already understand the, the benefits of the social trust. But then we, sh we should also understand the benefits and the importance of really looking at the, uh, the legal obligations that we enter into and reading them through. And I think part of the reason why people don't uh, necessarily um, uphold all of the legal obligations that they have entered into, for example, their phone contracts or their leases with their houses or various other contracts that they might have. The reason why we sometimes don't uphold those contracts, or for example, insurance contracts, they might ask you to do certain things or an Islamic mortgage might ask you to do certain things that people might not be doing. Um, the reason why we don't do those things is really because we often don't read these contracts. And um, that is the first thing that we should be dealing with, which is we should be reading those contracts because it is only when you read the contract that actually you can uphold that contract. And the, the final thing that I want to touch upon before we conclude is the benefits that we get from um, from being uh, from being from those who uphold our contracts and, and enter into contracts as well um, willingly and happily and they don't necessarily um, uh, uh, who don't necessarily negotiate really aggressively and really uh, uh, and really um, you know hard. There is actually a hadith I'm trying to remember. Rahim Allahu Abdan Samhan Ida Ba'a Samhan Ida Shtara. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala He is uh, merciful upon um, the servant. Was Samhan Ida Ida He is um, merciful upon that servant uh, who is um, merciful and he is relaxed and he's lenient when he buys and he sells and when he asks for his loan back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being uh, merciful upon that person who is um, relaxed when he is buying things. Uh, so he doesn't really negotiate hard to get the price down. Uh, he doesn't really, uh, you know, bother the person about um, every minor detail. He is relaxed when he sells something as well. You know, if someone is trying to uh, negotiate the price, he wants a price discount, he'll, he'll give him the price discount as long as it's reasonable enough. And then when he wants his loan back, he is polite and he gives the person time to get that loan back. And he might even forgive the loan. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he show mercy upon that person? Because there is a great benefit. Uh, not only is it from the best of characters to do this, um, and it puts 
uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before your own nafs, which often asks you to be really tight about these things. But also there is an economic benefit as well. And that is if you are someone who, generally speaking, are good to be on the other, other side of a contract with, if you are someone who you know is quite relaxed and chilled out about these things, people will be happy to buy and sell with you. And you, as a result, will attract more contractual ties with you. More and more people will come to you and buy and sell with you. And because of that, you will end up having more economic relationships. You will have, having a, end up having a better economic network. And that will, in the end, result in you doing better financially as well. And, um, and, and I see this. Um, and this is a, you know, completely, um, completely anecdotal. But we as a Muslim community are often quite stingy. And we're very aggressive in the way that we negotiate. You know, any businessman, any Muslim businessman that you talk to, he will tell you that the Muslim, um, the Muslim client is a lot more uh, demanding and doesn't pay as well as the non-Muslim client who is happy to pay and isn't as demanding. And, and so people prefer to have contractual ties with their non-Muslim clients and they, they don't necessarily want to deal with the Muslim community. Then what happens as a result of that? Well, the Muslim community has just lost out from having the benefits of that person's services, and um, and and who is to you know who's the loser here? The Muslim community is the loser here, and so uh, if more and more people keep on leaving the Muslim community, ultimately we are going to get left behind economically. So the the point I'm driving at here is that we need to be cognizant of this, and you know relax, relax when you're buying and selling and doing things in economic terms. Obviously, don't you know don't give your you know give things away. Uh, and don't, you know, uh, I'm not saying don't negotiate because you should negotiate. There's, you know, we can do a, maybe a tafsir session on negotiation and the, the, the Quran and the hadith about, about that. Um, do negotiate, but don't be aggressive and don't be um, foul-mouthed and, and don't be um, so cutthroat that you don't, that you take away all the profit from the other person. Because remember, you know, ultimately he's going to get a profit as well. And, uh, and if you're getting good, it's a win-win situation. So we should be willing to um, have a bit of give and take. So Jazakallahu Khairan. Um, that's all I have uh, to say for today. Uh, I'll just pause um, a few seconds to see if there are any um, if there are any questions. Um, otherwise, we can um, call it call it a day. Jazakallah khairan. Um, so it looks like um, there are no questions. So actually before before I completely wrap up, if I could ask all of you to, we've launched a new podcast, uh, believe it or not, which is called the, the Millionaire Muslim Podcast, you know, always aspirational. Uh, and it's available on pretty much all of the, the big podcast channels now. Um, so if you go on uh, Spotify or Google Podcasts uh, or the like or Anchor.fm it's available on all of them uh, so do please uh, and, and the Tafasir are all available on there if you if you need to catch up on any of those the other thing is subscribe to this channel please that's incredibly helpful for us to reach out uh, to as many people as possible and then finally 
do uh, do go and visit our website, which is IslamicFinanceGuru.com, and subscribe to our email there. Jazakallah khairan and uh, and uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.